Hi everyone, welcome to the AI of Mankind show, where I share anything interesting about mankind. I'm your host for this season. My name is Andrew Liu. I've worked across four continents and 12 international cities. Also, I've worked in tech startups across a range of roles from selling products, making customer happy, figuring out fundraising, making finance tick, building teams, and developing sticky products. Apart from building startups, I've also worked in Fortune 500 companies as a chief data scientist or technologist or people leader. You can call me Jack of all trades or master of learning. I hope to make this podcast show a great learning experience for us. In each season, there is a series of interesting things where I invite guests to share their views about their life and interests. Now let the show begin. In the previous episode, Ruben talked about his backstory. Along the way, he shared a use case of choosing the right data and metrics for a digital transformation use case at a digital marketing campaign. This episode continued the part two conversation with Ruben and Ruben shared with us his views on leadership, cost-benefit scalability analysis. Ruben shared an example of the concept of decreasing return to scale on the application of AI. Lastly, Ruben shared his views on the future of AI and the two schools of thought. This is what I call leadership. You step up to the role, you figure out that, hey, this might not be the best indicator for this particular case, and you try and if it works, great. If it doesn't work, at least you try. You show that, hey, you have done your job and your utmost best to explain why they should consider cost per action or maybe impression instead of click-through. It could be some other metrics that you feel that it makes a better sense for the company than easy to game click-through rate. We talked about a digital transformation, about starting small. Most companies, they would tend to start small and they will start to deploy AI and digital transformation together. Because of the fact that you've done natural language programming, computer visions, regression models, predictions, and now recently campaign optimization, what is AI's role in digital transformation? In my opinion, like any coding and technology, it's just actually an automation tool. AI is just the brains of how to automate stuff. And every task requires the right tool, and every, every tool also has the cost. So you're not going to buy a compiler just to go and skin some chicken. It's not effective, it's not affordable. So the other thing is amazing and almost tremendous potential, but relevancy has to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. So before embarking on a project, you have to do a cost-benefit scalability analysis. Not every project has to be a self-driving hub. That's it. We can try to use the AI to automate simple or tedious tasks and use data science to make more data-driven decisions. A simple example could be looking at customer usage details of a product. Let's say you have continuous data, you have a lot more time of where customers use the answer from there, you'll be able to get their last usage, that frequency of usage, and then the volume that they need, like the transaction or something, then you can okay. it. So you have this recency frequency model. From there, you can start to achieve perform these customers, so then put in a specific profile. Then from there, you can look within the profile, you know, even price profiles, you can start to run campaigns to upsell or price these customers. And another step further, you can even start to estimate figures like lifetime value and customer really tension with reaching these customers to where I try to do. AI has so many potential and before embarking on 
any project, it's always best to do a cost-benefit scalability analysis. And then you also talk about its uh, automation tools. And you give an example of marketing campaign, which is segmentation or clustering. Now, I want to come back to that first point that you mentioned about doing cost-benefit scalability analysis. Because cost-benefit analysis and any economics terms is about we want to do this initiative, what's the total cost that goes into this, and, and what are the benefits, and you compare the benefits minus the cost and see whether the benefits always the cost. If so, then go ahead. If not, then let's either shelve it or drop it. So now you added this new term called the cost-benefit scalability analysis. Tell us more about what does it mean to you? Uh, we just uh, define a bit more cost-benefit analysis. Normally, this, if the project is a long-time horizon, let's say 10 years, we do some kind of discounting to go and look at the future benefits. Huh? I believe that under the definition of scalability, because when it comes to technology, sometimes we have to go and think how scalable it is. So in a sense, it's discounting back the scalability to present time value. To the audience out there, especially the business folks or the layman folks, what does scalability mean? For example, let's say you build a simple website and you sell one item and this website uh, to our audience out there who knows technical terms called monolithic, meaning it's a very simple structure. It has input, output, you, you buy stuff. If there's 10 customers a day, maybe a simple website can do it. But if there's 1 million customers, something comes to a day, what happened to the website? The website will crash. So if the project is not built for scalability, then if we figure out that the next initiative is not built for scalability, maybe it becomes a, a greater cost than a benefit. This is a very good example because sometimes individually freezing your money to scale. And in fact, you have no choice but to support. Otherwise, your company's reputation will hit, which is an even bigger loss. So supporting this project becomes uh, a loss. So the learning can evaluate a project's scalability as well. So in that example that you gave for the website, in the sense, we can need to think, okay, now I have million customers. How am I going to scale this? Am I going to use some kind of caching? Am I going to use some kind of data sharding? If that's data in the background. And no more just me, two million customers in one region. Maybe now it's the two, three regions. Oh, how am I going to bring all this to another region? This is a whole next level of problem. Because you can't just think local. You have to think global eventually. I just remember there was in economics, there was this term terms called the increasing return to skill and decreasing return to skill. In general, in most cases, AI is supposed to have increasing return to skill because as you have more data, the AI is able to give a better, more responsive and more efficient way of deploying the resources to complete a task. Have you seen any cases that there are possibly that AI, if not properly constructed, could lead to decreasing return to skill. One of them is, this is actually something to computer vision. So, yes. as we, if you want to do a computer model, you first have to label the data. So in the yes. sense of computer vision, is, let's say I want to have a software that recognizes cats. So then you have to label the cat menu. Now, let's cross-source it. So we get 5,000 people, to people 100 figures of cats. So now that's the problem. Okay, now this, this thing has skipped a lot. There's a lot more data. But the problem is everybody labels this data differently. So let's say I have a picture of a cat. Like the cat is facing you. It's just a cat's face. No worries, no problem. Hmm. But what if is that there are three cats in the picture. Maybe person A will label all three of them and talk to your cat. Person B will label the cat's face, the third cat's face. Person preview will label the cat, the first cat's whole body in the face, and the ticket's whole body in the face. 
So now uh, this becomes a problem. It, this is a very common problem. I remember Google basically bought over a company called Catchar and they were trying to solve this kind of like mislabeling or misannotation problem because they realized that, hey, yeah, even though we hire a bunch of people to label the cat by looking at the face or the some features to label it correctly, but like you said, if there's three cats or four cats, maybe the guy just being lazy, ah, this is not a cat. This is a, some not, not dirty labeling, that rubbish in, rubbish out, like, you know. So without proper labeling, AI create, in this context, a decreasing return to scale. Coming back to the part about AI being efficient at automating a lot of stuff because it's able to mimic human intelligence to do repetitive stuff. There's always two schools of thought. One was by Jack Ma and one was Elon Musk. Jack Ma is the optimism saying, hey, the future will be very bright. AI will create a, a lot of a new possibility. And Elon Musk saying that, hey, AI will eventually automate almost 90% of the job and a lot of people with simple skill will not have a job. What do you think uh, about the future of AI? I feel that AI in Zetna actually helps you with a lot of research going on. A lot of things from the likely going to be automated. I'm told that the both of them agree on this. There's going to be a lot of automation. A lot of jobs will be taken away. That's it. I'm going to be hopeful. This is a quick fix. Maybe things like new BI, new so basic income will have to really start being explored. Naturally, there are a lot of things that can go wrong, but I believe that AI is the first step towards creating an well. So I have to imagine maybe Elon Musk is correct. Nobody has to do well, but they can still enjoy lives. So imagine a world where people work because they have an idea, they want to benefit humanity, or simply because they have a passion for something. So let's say in the cooking. So maybe this AI and automation can bring weird things to a shape who wants to experiment with recipes, but it's a bit easier to find the ingredients. So maybe you have a pot with here, you can go and think of potatoes, dice the onions, then the ship can tell you that it's embossed the stuff. If it's true, it's probably a thing to for the future. A more realistic view of things in the coming core of the kids. So I think more likely we see AI steadily replacing a lot more straightforward tasks, and the nature of work will probably drift towards more analysis work. Many will be doing kit and things, inspiration on the AI. So this is where the gap is. And I can imagine a very positive future. And I can also see the future. I feel like whichever future we end up at, right, will be the result for, for the next couple of decades. Before. And I hope that uh, humanity uses AI for the better to actually benefit the common good of mankind. So you share some examples on uh, how each school of thought actually plays out over time. And one thing you agreed that AI really augmented or automate a lot of jobs and leaving behind new jobs that requires creativity and a lot of analytical work. We still need doctors to do surgery, even though there's still robotic surgery. But because the surgery is so complex, the robots actually augmented the task to make it simple, more precise in cutting and stitching up. And most patients, they also won't dare to take surgery via Mr. Robot. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning into this episode. We have come to the end of part 2 with Ruben. In the next episode, we will continue with Ruben on part 3 which shared with us his views on the chicken rice hawker future. Ruben shared his view on the beautiful future of AI and the possible need for UBI universal benefit income. If this is the first time you are tuning in, remember to subscribe to this show. If you have subscribed to this show and love this episode, please share it with your friends, family and acquaintances. See you later and see you soon.